0: Well, that's the last you're
1: going to hear of Sims for about a week and a half. He's taking next week off. A staycation for Sims because what we do is so grueling. It is so taxing. It is so difficult to talk about football. Shereen Williams and I are going to talk about football over the course of the next hour. Good afternoon, Shereen. How are you?
2: I don't know if it's a positive or a negative to get some validation from Chris Sims. Which is it, Mike?
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, From Sims, it's probably more negative than positive, but I'll take whatever validation I can get whenever and wherever I can get it. We're going to give some validation to Drew Pearson later in this hour. We wanted to get him yesterday. It wasn't something that we were able to work out, but we will work it out today. And we'll talk to one of the new Hall of Famers, the guy who once caught a fairly famous pass from the quarterback whose jersey perpetually hangs behind shereen williams drew pearson former cowboy and the first guy to make 88 a great number for the cowboys he was the first 88 right there wasn't an 88 before him that was any good
2: not that anybody that was any good no he was the original 88 as he caused michael Irvin refers to him
1: well yeah and and uh you know that 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 number still has significant meaning although when you look at the chain, there were a couple of weak links in it yes. of the guys who wore number 88, including one guy whose name that I won't remember without looking it up. So, uh, But now it's in the hands of C.D. Lamb. It, uh, it, it, is, it is something that will be worn with uh, high production and honor and performance in the coming years. All right. There's plenty of stuff happening in the NFL today. And uh, this Russell Wilson thing... And let me tell you the latest. I'll peel back the curtain and I'll be candid. I always am, but I'm going to be more candid than usual because I'm in the process of trying to find out the answer to one question. And I posed this question earlier today to someone who usually gets back to me fairly quickly. Now there's a chance that this person just hasn't noticed the text message. There's a chance this person has better things to do than respond to me. But again, my history and the habit has been Question gets answered. Question gets answered. Question I posed today that is yet to be answered several hours after the fact is whether or not Russell Wilson has asked for a trade. Silence in response to that question, which intrigues the hell out of me. You know, after you text someone and you're anxious to see what the answer is going to be, you check your phone, you wait, you see if you're getting the three dots, those damn three dots, which are, are both tantalizing and aggravating. And I, nothing. I've gotten nothing, and it's been five or six hours, Shereen. So I'm starting to wonder: has there been a communication behind the scenes that that people aren't ready to acknowledge publicly yet? Yet that Russell Wilson has made the same kind of request that Deshaun Watson has in Houston.
2: Well, this spiraled out of control quickly, Mike. I, you know, we saw the Aaron Rodgers thing immediately after the season got over and then he kind of clarified a day or two later and that kind of sort of cleared itself up. It didn't go on and on and on like this one has and I think this is going to go on for a while because it does very much feel like to me that Russell Wilson has one foot out of the door. And as you pointed out, it's going to be really hard to do a trade right now, but they could do it after June 1, in which case he would be gone. But no matter, this just certainly feels like he is leaving Seattle at some point, whether it's this year or after this
3: year.
1: And and really what they also could do now, because we've seen in recent years, the practice of working out the agreement pre-start of the league year. We have a pending deal for almost two weeks now between the Rams and the Lions, for Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, and some picks flowing from L.A. to Detroit, that becomes official on March 17. But what happens in the interim? Everybody acts like it's a done deal. My guess is Jared Goff's talking to the Lions regularly, or although there are some limits on how much communication there can be in the off season, But I, I, my guess is he's gotten his hands on a playbook if they put one together. And same thing for the Rams. Matthew Stafford probably has the Rams playbook. But... Uh, That same mentality can apply to a deal that won't be processed until June 2. If the Seahawks are fine with it, if the new team is fine with it, then you do the deal with the understanding that it becomes official on June 2. And what happens after that? Russell Wilson is regarded widely as a member of that new team, even though the deal doesn't get reduced to writing and communicated to the league office until the day after you would divide the cap charge it would go from 39 million in dead money hitting the cap this year for the Seahawks down to 13 million this year, 26 million next year and given that the pandemic's going to do something to the salary cap this year and we assume it will go down there's a chance i guess that they will get these new deals in place for broadcast rights and they'll move enough money around to keep it close to 198 or 195 or anything more than 180 but regardless there's benefit having that cap charge only 13 million that that's another way to do it and Russell Wilson can start working out with the receivers tight ends running backs from his new team they work out on their own anyway guys from different teams work out together all the time that's the way it could go down and then he officially becomes a Seahawk or not a Seahawk on June 2 and what about the offseason program there's no indication there's going to be one so he's not going to really miss anything there either
2: Yeah, and he does have a no-trade clause, Mike, so he, in some sense, is going to get a chance to decide where he goes if he wants to go somewhere, if he has indeed requested a trade. And I know the Seahawks will resist. There's been no indications that the Seahawks are trying to trade him, but teams certainly are calling. I mean, we know that. It's it's obvious when when a guy uh, expresses his unhappiness, as Russell Wilson has, that teams are going to call about his availability And he started this, Mike. This is not something that's media-generated. He started this with his first interview on Dan Patrick. He had a chance to squash it in his interviews with the local media that came after he won Man of the Year. That didn't happen. He did the GQ interview. Tomorrow he does the Ellen show. So he's had every chance to to nip this in the bud and say, no, 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 I'm not asking for a trade. I'm coming back to the team, et cetera, et cetera. And he hasn't done that which totally leads to this speculation that he does want to move on. He's had a chance to end this conversation and he hasn't done it yet. We'll see what he says tomorrow on the Ellen show.
1: The Ellen show is fascinating because when Russell Wilson does non-sports shows, there's a history there of someone suggesting to the host a specific question about which the host probably wouldn't be aware to ask. And I, Recall a couple of years ago, before Russell Wilson got his latest contract extension from the Seahawks, he was on Jimmy Fallon. And Fallon asks the question about the possibility of Russell Wilson becoming the highest paid player in NFL history when he gets his new contract. And that was kind of odd. Like, that doesn't seem like something that would bubble up to the top of the stack when it's time to come up with Russell Wilson questions. And Sims has always been very skeptical that someone from Wilson's camp planted that question. To Jimmy Fallon and it just makes you wonder what kind of questions will be planted or suggested or just mentioned for Ellen DeGeneres to ask Russell Wilson along the lines of his future with the Seattle Seahawks and it's out there broadly enough now that you really don't need to nudge her in any way to get her to ask what what's going on here are you going to be a Seahawk in 2021 but it could be there's something beyond the obvious that they want to have asked to push this thing to the next level. Because, Shereen, the more I think about it, the things that Russell Wilson is unhappy about now, these are things that aren't new. I think these are things he's dealt with, that he's tolerated, and he's just gotten to the point where he wants out. So these things that he didn't have a problem with before, he's got a big problem with now because he wants out, and you need to have reasons for wanting out, or you look like you're being selfish, unreasonable, etc., I think he just wants out. I think that's the bottom line. But I think Brandon Marshall, someone's told him exactly what's going on. Russell Wilson wants out, but he doesn't want to be the villain who instigated his exit from the Seattle Seahawks.
2: Yeah, and that very well could be, Mike. And who knows, like Chris Sims said on your show this morning, did he want Shane Waldron? Is that who he wanted as offensive coordinator? Because like Deshaun Watson, he said he wanted to say – in who the offensive coordinator was. In Watson's case, it was who the head coach was, who the GM was. So did Russell Wilson truly have a say in who the offensive coordinator was? And is he happy with that hire? He has a set either way, as far as I know, whether he's happy with Shane Waldron or not, which leads me to believe that maybe he's not happy uh, with that hired offensive coordinator. So all these things tend to have bubbled up and bubbled over and, And Russell Wilson is now making it known that he is definitely not happy in Seattle. I don't know if this is a surprise to the Seahawks or not, but they're having to deal with it now, Mike, and they're going to have to deal with it the entire offseason until something transpires with the trade or whatever happens.
1: And that becomes the broader question that I'm trying to get to the bottom of, because when Paul Allen died a couple of years ago, his sister Jody inherited the team and she's owned the team ever since. And I remember early on there was this vague sense. Will she sell? What will she do? And, and she's been even quieter and taken on an even lower profile than her brother Paul did. I have no idea what she wants. I have no idea what she does. I have no idea how involved she is. I get the impression that she, like most owners should do, relies upon her football experts to run the football team. But when you have something like this land on your radar screen and you're the owner of the team, and this is one of the most important players in team history, if not the most important player in franchise history, how involved are you? Do you have a preference? Do you express that preference? Or do you just say, I've already been delegating. I'm going to continue to delegate. Pete, whatever you think is best, that's what we'll do. And you have to wonder how much of this public animosity, and it's not really animosity, it's just public rancor, frustration, consternation from Russell Wilson, does that turn off the Seahawks and make them want to make a change? Does it soften them up to deal with the cap situation? Does it make them willing to find another quarterback? Because that's part of the problem. If you let the bird in the hand go, you don't know what. You're going to replace him with, are you going to draft someone? Are you going to sign someone? Are you going to trade for someone? And at this point, all we know about the Seahawks is, according to Dan Patrick, they're not happy with Russell Wilson. Okay, fine, they're not happy with him. What does that mean? What are they going to do? Are they going to tell him, too bad, you're stuck here? Because I think this thing is just going to continue to linger until – There's a divorce. I feel like they're on the track. The question is, when does it happen? So do you say we're just going to find a way to hold it together for a year while we plan our options? Or are they going to figure out their options now and make their best decision going forward? And that would be seismic if it were to happen. That would be as it would be bigger than Tom Brady leaving New England last year, because at least we had months to get our arms and brains around the idea that it was going to happen. This is something just kind of popping up out of nowhere.
2: We have so many quarterbacks, Mike, that are unhappy and so many teams that are unhappy with their quarterbacks, as you wrote about uh, today and as you guys discussed yesterday morning and we started that discussion yesterday. It would be great, I think, for the NFL to see some of these swaps of quarterbacks straight up. a Deshaun Watson for Russell Wilson, and I know that's probably not going to happen, So, because why would Russell Wilson want to go to Houston? He has a no-trade clause. But something like that, to me, just would be glorious in this league. It would be so much fun. I would love to see that as it stands now. I do expect Russell Wilson to be back with the Seahawks for one more year. And then I think the divorce is final unless, this is the unless, They win the Super Bowl next year, which right now it doesn't look like that's probably going to happen. But there's a lot of offseason moves yet to be made. But I think that stems a lot from his unhappiness is the fact that they're three and five since their last trip to the Super Bowl and haven't been to the division round. And he doesn't feel like that's his fault. He feels like that's the fault of the people around him that the team has put in place.
1: Another way this plays out, and we may have discussed it earlier in the week, the idea that Russell will sit tight and see what they do in free agency and see what they do in the draft, and then after the draft is when he could agitate for a trade that would be effective on June 2nd. That's another possible way that this would happen, but I think common sense tells us that if he's saying all of this stuff publicly, he's probably saying something directly or through his agent to the team privately. Is he saying... I'd like a trade. Is he saying the time has come for us to part ways? Is he saying we don't want you to just hang up the phone when these calls come in and the calls continue to come in? Because of course they will. Over the weekend, one of the Super Bowl Sunday splash reports was that the Seahawks had gotten calls on Wilson, but they're absolutely not going to trade. And well, absolutely not has changed over the course of the last four days. And we'll see what they get offered, we'll see what it takes. I think if it's going to take three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, Shireen, it's going Absolutely. to take three first-round picks for Russell Wilson at this point. So, uh, no question. I, look, I, I, it's almost too much. right? You, I, I'd rather save some of this for next offseason. Let's not have <laughs> all this quarterback chaos now. Let's parse it out a little bit. Like, when you know, when a team scores 50 points in a game, save some of them for next week, please. We may need them. One last point. I did a quick check. I know the Cowboys don't officially retire numbers. They just unofficially set them aside. They have right. not unofficially set aside number three, which would be one less hurdle to get <laughs> Russell Wilson to Dallas because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, look, all seriousness, this idea of Russell Wilson leaving Seattle has been clanking around for a while now, and the team that I consistently hear when the issue comes up is the Dallas Cowboys. So heard that again today. Watch the Cowboys. Watch the Cowboys. And I know that would be gigantic because of the whole Dak Prescott yes. angle. But clearly, the solution to the quarterback problem for the Cowboys could be Prescott out, Wilson in. And uh, that, that would be a huge move if the Cowboys decide to make it. Uh, a, a, a less significant move would involve the Las Vegas Raiders signing Juju Schuster from the Steelers. That's a name to keep an eye on. John Clayton was on radio in... Pittsburgh yesterday and said that the Raiders are very interested in Smith Schuster and that intrigues me they had Nelson Aguilar in that that slower than Henry Ruggs receiver position last year and I think that's the role that Juju Smith Schuster can thrive in he's not a number one guy he's not fast enough to be number one he's not game-breaking enough to command double coverage but he's more than good enough to be a great number two Ruggs and Smith Schuster would be awesome for the Raiders Shireen and you know, from the Steelers' standpoint, you have to wonder if they got to the point where number one, they don't have the cap space, and number two, between the dancing on the logos and the Browns is the Browns comment that helped fire up Cleveland before the playoff game, are the Steelers just kind of ready to move on from this guy?
2: And Mike, you know MDS. We know his stance on running backs. He thinks you can find running backs anywhere. The receiver core with guys playing it in college in college game going to so much passing. I think you can find receivers anywhere. I I would not spend a ton of money on Juju, no matter who I am. I just think you can get better receivers out there or as good a receivers as Juju is. He has 1,000-yard season, one Pro Bowl that came in his 1,000-yard season when he was named MVP of the team, and we know what happened with AB after that. It kind of spiraled out. but. You know, I just don't think you spend a good deal of money on a receiver. I think you can find those guys. You can find them in the draft. You can find them in free agent. They have Hunter Renfro to play the slot. I know Juju's better than, than Hunter Renfro. He's better than Nelson Aguilar. I get that. I get why their interest would be there. I just wouldn't spend a ton of money on him if I'm the Raiders. But, you know, the Raiders are the Raiders, and they love those John Gruden, we know, loves those old players, Mike, and he's going to spend the money where he sees fit, and that just might be Juju.
1: All those seven-on-seven camps, high school, all those practices at the college level, the quarterbacks get the reps in, the receivers get the reps in, the receivers get better, and there are more and more great receivers every year making it to the NFL. So that's a good point. You don't need to spend a lot of money on a receiver as a veteran and the Steelers are the last team to have to do it because they have yes. cracked the code on finding great receivers in the draft at every round they've managed to do it and also it would be a nice little middle finger by the Raiders to Antonio Brown after things went so haywire <laughs> between Brown and the Raiders to go get Juju Schuster and maybe he'll be the Raiders MVP in 2021 one last point before we take our first break here's Urban Meyer the coaching staff was announced today for the Jacksonville Jaguars An interesting hire for director of sports performance, a guy named Chris Doyle, who's got a history that maybe would make him not an ideal candidate to have that job. Here's Meyer on talking about the decision to bring in Chris Doyle.
4: Yeah, I've known Chris for uh, close to 20 years. Our relationship goes back to when I was at Utah, and he was the number one strength coach. And really, he he was doing sports performance before sports performance became a Uh, uh, a high priority in in college sports. And so I've known him, I've studied him. Uh, We've had a relationship. Uh, I vetted him thoroughly.
0: Yeah, no reservations hiring him based on the allegations and and what happened at Iowa. And and why hire him instead of going in a different direction?
4: Oh, sure. I, 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 I vet everyone on our staff. And like I said, the relationship goes back close to 20 years and a lot of hard questions asked, a lot of vetting involved. And uh, with, the, with all our staff, but uh, uh, we, we we did a very good job vetting that one.
2: So you're confident there's not going to be any issues?
4: Yeah, they're, they're all very confident.
2: Did you have to get Shad's permission to hire him, Chris Doyle?
4: Uh, Shad was involved with our, our high-end uh, hires, and uh, he was very he was involved.
2: And are you at all
4: concerned that him being in the building will impact your ability to,
2: to attract free agents
4: uh I, if i was i wouldn't have hired him uh, once again I'll, I'll explain that if, if that becomes a, a question uh, the one thing i'm very confident is that i would imagine within a year or two we'll have the best sports performance team in the national football league
1: doyle exited the university of iowa football program last year amid allegations of some racially charged comments and just the kind of old school football player abuse that coaches engage in when they yell and scream and they rant and rave. And the game has evolved past that in many respects. And Shereen, I understand that you know, NFL head coaches are looking for people they can trust. That's one of the reasons why they hire their kids, because if you can't trust their, your kids, who the hell can you trust? There's many reasons beyond that why they look to hire their own children, but it's about who you can trust, who is with you, who will be your eyes and ears within the ranks of the coaches. And Doyle will be undoubtedly extremely grateful to and loyal to Urban Meyer. Doesn't make it right, and it doesn't set the, the the right framework, I think, this is where it's delicate because Myers had a history of some questionable characters around him, and here he is bringing in a guy that's that's got a recently questionable background when there are plenty of other people who could do the job that Chris Doyle's been hired to do.
2: Yeah, by all accounts, Mike, he's very good at his job, which is why they hired him. But there's a reason that he had a $1.1 million separation agreement with Iowa after 20 years there. And, you know, the Jaguars should have known what they were getting when they hired uh, Urban Meyer because he had Zach Smith on his on his staff for a long time. And we know how that played out with that story. So the Jaguars knew what they were getting when they hired Urban Meyer. And this is part of who Urban Meyer is and what he does. So this this is what they bought into and they're going to let him run the show. It's obvious he's in charge, Mike, in Jacksonville.
1: There was an external review of the Iowa program which concluded that a small group of coaches demeaned players and the program's rules perpetuated racial or cultural biases and diminished the value of cultural diversity. Doyle defended himself by saying, I do not make racist comments and I don't tolerate people that do. But still, as you mentioned, there was that buyout. The relationship ended in the aftermath of this investigation. And Urban Meyer has plenty of equity as he enters the NFL, especially in Jacksonville. He may have used up a little bit of it today, and there definitely will be plenty of eyes and ears on Chris Doyle. And and here's the reality. you got a certain amount of power and control over college football players that you don't have over pro players. And if he approaches the line with an NFL player, he's going to get a far different reaction (laughs) than he ever would have gotten at Iowa. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Newly-minted Hall of Famer Drew Pearson from the Dallas Cowboys. Shireen presented him for enshrinement, and he got the votes. We'll talk to him next year on KFTP.
3: Want to make Mom's Day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack, fragrance, jewelry, Luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.
5: Get that right up here, yeah. right
4: there. Oh, my God.
5: Oh, my God. She's going to cry. Come on. Thank you, thank you. Oh, my God. You're not here just to tell me hi.
1: That's Drew Pearson getting the word from David Baker and the ultra-distinctive voice of Jerry Jones in the background. That had to be Jerry Jones when you got the news. Here he is, Drew Pearson, one of the new members of the Hall of Fame. Drew, congratulations. Welcome back to the show.
5: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me and uh, having me as a Hall of Famer. Feels pretty good.
1: Let's set that stage. Let's let people understand that moment. When you find out, like, did, did you get lured somewhere under false pretenses? Was this like a surprise party type of a thing? How did you get to the point where that 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 gigantic human named David Baker shows up with the news?
5: Well, you said it right first. I got lured into it. And uh, I got a letter from Rich Darrow, the PR guy from the Cowboys, uh, addressed to Roger and I uh, requesting a meeting at the 25th at 2 p.m. And so we both confirmed, we went over there. Roger and I kind of pulled it in the parking lot at the same time. And he didn't give me any indication what might be going on. I'm a little upset with my quarterback uh, for that. But we went inside and re- met Rich and uh, went into the uh, uh, room next to the uh, lobby. And Jerry was sitting there waiting. We sat down and talked for a little bit. And uh, I didn't know what what I was doing there because they were talking mostly about real estate which they said in a letter that it might have something to do with that. That's why I thought it was so logical that Rob would be included because he's involved in some ventures with Mr. Jones. So anyway, uh, we're, they're talking, and all of a sudden I heard that knock on the door, and Mr. Jones said, Drew, go answer the door. I went and answered the door, and in that door well was Mr. David Baker. And you know he can fill up a door well, and he filled it up, and he came in with the camera crew behind him. And I kind of had a feeling I knew then what it was, what it was all about. And uh, that's when the emotion started to flow. Then I look on the other side of the room, Roger and Jerry over there grinning, you know, like they ate the canary or something like that. And uh, they got me good. But that's a good, good get. And uh, I appreciate them taking the time to do it that way.
1: You broke up a little bit there as you were explaining when it was, but you mentioned to us off the air it was January 25th, which was a couple of weeks before it became official. How hard, Drew, to keep that secret for nearly two weeks? Yeah, I'd rather
5: play a game of NFL football, even against Mel Blunt, than to try to hold that in for two weeks almost. (laughs) It was very difficult. You know, my, my mouth, was when he told me, my mouth was like this about ready to burst with uh, <laughs> wanting to tell somebody, you know? So I had to tell my, my kids. I told them, and I, I made them swear to secrecy. I told my oldest sister, uh, my only sister, her swear to secrecy. And I told a few of uh, uh, my teammates, uh, but that was it. And uh, it, it was hard to keep because I kept getting uh, requests for interviews. And, uh, and in the interviews, of course, they're asking me if I know and you know, I'm not the guy that wants to lie or anything to anybody, but I kind of just danced around it as best I could uh to try to make their article uh appear like you know I didn't know or it was going it was anticipating the anticipation was still there, uh but it was hard to keep in, no doubt, and uh, all the guys did it. you know it was a remarkable how it really never leaked out to social media or or the media period. And uh, that's a tribute to all the guys. And that's the kind of class we have, you know, guys with a lot of character. When you tell them to do something, they do it.
2: Drew, you came so close in January of 2019 on that Centennial class when your former teammate Cliff Harris got in and Jimmy Johnson got in on that class too. We saw your disappointment and your anger at not getting in at that point. Now, full circle a year from then you get in again um two years later I guess it was did that make this more special just the fact that you thought you were going to get it a couple years ago and didn't
5: well you know what made it special is I didn't have to wait that long after that disappointment you know I wasn't angry I was just disappointed I wouldn't I'm not I would never be angry at the pro football hall of fame I have too much respect for that but I was disappointed it did break my heart because I, first time I've ever been a finalist, and I thought that would be my way to get in, and maybe the only way. Uh, so it was a big disappointment. But guys, I only had to wait eight months. You know, here comes August. You know, I'm all anticipating that to happen, and it didn't happen. I had everybody in my house before and anticipating as well, and it didn't happen. Then eight months later in August, I'm out doing yard work, lawn work, and and I get a cough. Uh, a text message from Rick Goslin saying, "Answer your phone when when it rings." And then when it rang, it was Mr. David Baker telling me I was the senior, not the lone senior nominee for the class of 2021. So I didn't have to uh, uh, worry or wait that long for the, the what I thought was a disappointment to get corrected uh, with the announcement that Mr. Baker made.
2: You're, you were first-team all-decade on the 1970s all-decade team. Normally, that's a rubber stamp to get right into the Hall of Fame. 33 years is a long time to wait, Drew. Why do you think it took so long for you to get in as a first-team all-decade player?
5: You know, I'm not sure. I've never had, uh, uh, gotten any answers or any uh, explanation for that. Uh, I just feel like it's, I'm just like one of the other guys, especially when you get in the senior category, sometimes you get lost in the shuffle. And a lot of guys uh, are, are worthy of that and that senior category, but just get lost in the shuffle. And now, I guess what, the new rule with one senior coming in a year, that log jab for that senior category or getting in through that door is going to be even greater and tougher to get through. So you know, I, I think it had something to do with that. But when I found out that I was All-Decade, Harvey Martin a second-team All-Decade, we thought, we talked, and that would be our end to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we just wanted to compound on that and try to add to, you know, uh, what we could do on the field to add to that to make to guarantee that to make sure that would happen. Uh, but it didn't happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. I can't run any more pass routes, catch any more balls. I'd like to at these prices that they're paying nowadays, but uh, they don't want any 70-year-old wide receivers out there. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know in- it is what it is, and that's part, that's part of my legacy. That's part of what it's all about, my path to the Hall of Fame.
1: You've got the one Super Bowl ring from the 77 season. The Cowboys were in two other Super Bowl games during your career. I feel like what happened with the 70s was the Steelers had those four wins, and they hogged up so many of the bronze busts with their guys, it made it harder for other guys to get in.
5: Yeah, I I heard that, and a lot of Steelers did get in, and they said if we had beaten the Steelers in those Super Bowls that, you know, we'd have more Cowboys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, you know, come on, give me a – Break. You know, I played seasons, uh, made the playoffs, 10 of those 11 seasons, of play- 10 playoff appearances, played in seven NFC championship games. Those were mostly all in the uh, uh, 70s, ended up playing in three Super Bowls all in the 70s. So, you know, we had success and we had individuals that definitely warranted Hall of Fame recognition. That's why we had some guys on the- going to the Hall of Fame. You know, Roger Staubach, Rayfield Wright, Tony Dorsett. You know, just to name a few, Mel Renfro, just to name a few. So, you know, we had the quality athletes just like they did. And, you know, you can't judge uh, one group of people on somebody else's success. And then the other group, you know, you don't judge them on all success. You know, there's a lot of guys in a pro football Hall of Fame, not saying they're not Hall of Famers. But there's some guys in the pro football hey, Hall of Fame never played in the Super Bowl, never played in the championship games. Maybe some never even played in the playoff game. But they lumped us like that because of that time in the 70s. And uh, the Steelers were so great. They were a great team. That's why they beat us. They, that's the only way they could beat us by being a great team. But they were so great that they lumped us with them. And they said, well, you can't beat them. So they should have more guys into the pro football Hall of Fame. I, You know, I That's just me thinking, I don't know if that's their logic or anything like that, but, you know, that's just the way it appears sometimes.
1: One of the most fun aspects of getting into the Hall of Fame has to be the bust and the creation of the bust and sitting for that. (laughs) Have you heard from anyone yet about that process? And have you given any thought to the facial expression you're going to go with?
5: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've gotten measured already. We got measured last Saturday while we were at the Super Bowl. And that was a pretty cool experience, you know. Uh, they measure everything. They measure your lips, your eyebrows, your nose, how long, how long your ears are, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I told the guy who's from Texas, I forgot his name, but he's from Texas. He does these every year. And I told him, you know, you got to do my bustle throw. Don't put me in there like this, okay? Nobody would recognize me. But you put me <laughs> in that, that afro I had back in the day. <laughs> Then people are recognizing, yeah, yeah, that's Drew Pearson. That was one of my signature trademarks, my afro, you know, back in the day. So uh, my bus will have have an afro on it, and uh, you know that's one of the highlights of the weekend. You know, sitting down there uh, while you're getting measured for your bus, you're thinking, wow, how cool is this? You know, you this is being a this is being measured for a bus for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and you got Peyton Manning over there. You got would was waiting their turn to get their bus uh, uh, measured. So it was a pretty cool experience going through that bus measurement.
2: <laughs> have you decided on your presenter yet, Drew? I know you have a lot of choices for that.
5: Yeah, you're right, uh, Sharreen. I got a lot of choices. I haven't decided yet. Uh, I know if they were here with us, would be either, uh Coach Tom, or my good friend, roommate, for 11 seasons with the Cowboys. We came in the league together. We retired together. Uh, that's harvey martin but uh, god rest their souls unfortunately they're not with us so now it goes to what i call the next level uh and of course roger staubach my quarterback's involved in that mix and then i got three beautiful kids tory Brittany, and jared you know they would do a tremendous job presenting their dad and then you know guys i grew up with uh three brothers and three sisters and i got one older sister left and she would do a great job presenting her brother as as well, so I haven't decided yet. But those are the three in the mix, three scenarios in the mix.
2: What current receiver Drew most resembles your playing style from back then? We know about the Drew Zone of you going across the middle.
5: uh None. <laughs> Nobody goes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody goes over it anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. There. But, you know, I, I like if I, there's anybody, yeah, if there's anybody you want to compare me to, is Larry Fitzgerald. You know, not so much yeah. our styles or anything, but uh, anything like that, but being a consummate pro. I always thought I was a consummate pro, always there for my team. And there's no question Larry Fitzgerald is the consummate pro. Uh, you see it the way he acts, not just on the field, but what he means to that team, that organization, and to those young players. So if any, if you want to compare me to any receiver today, you know, compare me to Larry Fitzgerald because I got a lot of respect for him and what he's done in his career and what he continues to do. I don't even think he's announced his retirement yet. I guess he's expected to play another season. So I got a lot of respect for him. And uh, if you want to compare me to anybody, compare me to Mr. Larry Fitzgerald.
1: Hey, Drew, we've had you on here before, and we had some fun about one of your biggest career highlights, a certain catch that you made in minnesota in the playoffs in 1975 there's another play that caught my attention today though the old-time football account tweeted out the tony dorsett 99 and a half yard touchdown run when the cowboys had 10 guys on the field early 1983 and there's drew pearson busting his butt 65 (laughs) yards down the field with the lunging block that popped the thing open for dorsett what a hustle play that was
5: Yeah, it was, you know, and it didn't start out that way, uh, Mike, because we had 10 men on the field, and, you know, we, we knew that, hey, said so I said, this play is not going to go anywhere, and, you know, so we ran the snap anyway because time was running out, and it was just a straight handoff to Tony Dorsett, and I just came do- jogging off the line because I'm thinking about heading to the bench, and now we're going to punt the football out. After- to that play, Tony burst through there and I said, Oh Lord, I better get on my horse. And I took off and, uh, <laughs> uh tried to lead that interference for Tony. But, you know, Tony had so many r- runs where he broke out into late daylight and out in the open. Like that, you know, kind of knew uh, how I would handle those blocks downfield and it was always a bump, bump, and then throw. And he read that. And when I threw, that's when he went around me. So that combination of he and I playing together since 1977, and him having so many uh, long-distance runs uh, helped us out in that situation. I also knew after he scored a touchdown, I'd better hustle down to be the first one to graduate because that's going to be in a record book. That's going to be in a Hall of Fame. And I figured that might be my only way to get into the Pro Football Hall <laughs> of Fame. <laughs> when that spot Tony well, or congratulating him in the end zone. So, yeah, I was the first one down there. <laughs>
1: That plays in the Hall of Fame. Dorsett's in the Hall of Fame. Drew Pearson's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And for anybody out there who doesn't remember what Drew looked like in the 70s, if you're younger and you've just discovered football recently, there it is. That's what the bust is going to look like. There's Drew with the afro. So, hey, Drew, uh, congratulations. And uh, it was long overdue. We're very happy for you. And we look forward to the day when we get to see the bust, see the jacket, and hear what you have to say on your way into the Hall of Fame.
5: Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you guys having me. And uh, Charine, thank you so much for your support. And I appreciate you so much. Congratulations.
2: Okay?
5: This is Pearson, the original number 88, Hall of Famer 2021. Wow. So nice to Love say it. that. Thank you, guys. God bless.
1: All right. Congratulations. There he is, Drew Pearson. We'll be back with more PFTPM, where we answer some of your questions and talk about a new quarterback heading to the NFL right after this. There's Tom Brady yesterday. A little weekend at Bernie's action. Ryan Griffin finally earning his paycheck, helping Brady off of the boat. He, yeah, you know, he just he's, he's a little wobbly from the sea legs. And now they already have the drunk Tom Brady doll. I have a feeling that that is some sort of a trademark copyright infringement, and and also, uh, th- that 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 that. That doll is not representative of the physique of Tom Brady. Uh, I know know that he likes to work out. He doesn't work out quite that much, Shireen. Yeah, I don't think
2: that's an accurate representation of Tom Brady. We remember the shot from the combine way back when, Mike.
1: Yeah, and that that shot actually showed up on T-shirts for players who were on the boats yesterday. And, you know, I did a little quick math. Most of the guys on the team were six years old or younger when Brady was standing there in his boxers for that shot at the scouting combine. Yeah, and, and somebody else noticed yesterday that he had a brace on his left knee. He had surgery or he's gonna have surgery on his left knee, and it's not some minor thing. Ben Volan of the Boston Herald or Boston Globe, excuse me, suggested it 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 really was something he needed to have done, and he's gonna come back even better. Good news, Packers, Seahawks, and every other team in the NFC. Brady's gonna be even better in 2021. All right, let's answer some questions. John Pascal asks, "What's the unofficial Deshaun Watson trade deadline?" In, in my view, I mean, unofficially, I just think you got to get it done and you got to put it through on March 17 because what happens is teams that are interested in Deshaun Watson are going to go find other quarterbacks and and then they're not going to be in a position to trade for Deshaun Watson. So, At the very latest, the draft, but I think you got to get this thing done and in place so you have maximum suitors at the table. Because if you don't, if you wait around, teams aren't going to wait around for you and they're going to address their quarterback needs elsewhere and those teams are going to drop out of the mix and it's going to be harder to maximize the leverage, Shereen.
2: Mike, you made the great prediction before the season started that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win the Super Bowl. Today is, what, February 11th? I'm going to make the prediction because I know that the Texans are not looking at the trade to Sean Watson as of today. I'm going to make the prediction that this drags out beyond the draft and Watson holds out and they come to a head at some point over the summer, which is far too late in which case the Texans gets far too little that they should get for Deshaun Watson. I just have a feeling this is not going to end well for the Houston Texans.
1: Yeah, see, the problem is the Texans have done nothing in recent months to show us that they know how to properly solve a situation like this and how to maximize their leverage. And it It will be very easy for a guy like Jack Easterby and Cal McNair, who haven't really been around the block many times, to make the smart, objective decision free of any passion or or desire to be tough or send a message or not let the inmates run the prison, which was the catchphrase for the organization a few years ago. And they're potentially going to put themselves in a spot where It's going to be painful, it's going to continue to be a distraction, it's going to continue to hover, and they're ultimately going to get less than they could have gotten when they realize that's their only play, because I think Watson has made it clear that's their only play, and I'm not convinced they're going to do the right thing. Dr. J 144, are the Texans at risk of doing anything which would anger the other 31 owners or would the other 31 be happy to see a franchise implode like this? Franchisers are both competitors but also colleagues, correct? And that is true, but the the, the teams that get it, the owners who get it, are very happy to have a collection of competitors who don't get it because it doesn't get so bad that it affects the collective ability of the football teams in the NFL to earn money. I mean, the NFL isn't going to start losing money because there's a dysfunctional team. So it's good. You just cross them off the list. This is a team we don't have to worry about. So I don't think it's ever going to get to the point where the other 31 owners are, are wishing for the opportunity to force a sale or something like that. They like having dysfunctional teams around and they're not going to have any complaints about the Texans being dysfunctional, Shereen.
2: You look at how long the Texans, I don't want to say dominated the AFC South, but they certainly were competitors in the AFC South and won a number of division titles. I think the other teams in the AFC South are thrilled with what's happening in Houston. They will be thrilled if Deshaun Watson gets traded. That's one less team that they have to worry about in division every year. When you look at the Colts and how close they came to losing both the games against the Texans this year, They'll be happy if Deshaun Watson leaves and the Texans are in dysfunction for a long, long time.
1: One time I was in the presence of an owner who lives in the city where his team is located, shows up at the facility on a regular basis. And he was asked his opinion on another owner who is an absentee and isn't there all the time. And what do you think of that? And the response was, I love competing against him. And that's, that's the mindset. That's the attitude. The owners who know what they're doing very much like to have owners in the league who, by all appearances, don't know what they're doing. Matt Yvonne, with the salary cap shrinking, should free agents wait a year to sign long-term deals and ride out 2021 on one-year contracts? So well, I think what they should do preliminarily is see what's out there. And if you have a long-term offer that is acceptable, you take it. But if you don't get an offer that you think is appropriate to your skills and abilities— then that's when you do the one-year deal. But when you're talking about really good money for one year versus generational wealth, life-changing money on a long-term deal with full guarantees and all the bells and whistles, if you're one of those guys, then you take it. I don't think you enter the process saying, I'll just take a one-year deal and do it all over again next year. That's your fallback, Shereen, once you realize that the money isn't going to be there the way you thought it was.
2: Yeah, you look at some of those free agents in Tampa specifically, Mike. Chris Godwin, Levante David, um, Shaq Barrett, if those guys get long-term deals elsewhere that are acceptable, and I think all three might, then you go take that. If they don't, then I think they should return to the Bucks for a one-year deal for whatever the Bucs are going to give them and go try to win another Super Bowl. That's probably their best option. But if they get those long-term deals elsewhere, you have to go. You have to go take that money because, as you said, Mike, it's generational wealth and it sets you up for the rest of your life.
1: Shaq Barrett said earlier today on Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio that it's time that he break the bank. Now, the Buccaneers could tag him again at $18.99 million for one year. The ideal situation would be to finally work out a long-term deal, but that's just one of the issues that the Buccaneers are going to have. And frankly, if they do a long-term deal, the cap charge for this year would most likely be significantly less than 18 99 That's another reason for the two sides to work something out, but... is the starting point on a long-term deal because that's the bird that he has in the hand. At Jimmy Luck, will we see more and more players try to force trades? Will we see non-quarterbacks do this too? Well, Jimmy, it started with non-quarterbacks. It started with Antonio Brown two years ago. And we talked last week to Stephon Diggs about it. You know, All it took was one tweet. The day that Kirk Cousins got his extension, coincidental, possibly, Not coincidental, possibly. That's when Stephon Diggs took to Twitter, and by that night, they had a deal. So I think that it's overdue for the franchise quarterbacks, who have traditionally been company men, to say, you know what, we're we're not playing this game anymore. We've got power, we've got leverage, we've got options, and we're going to start exploring them. And I think that between what we've seen other players do who aren't quarterbacks and what Tom Brady was able to pull off last year, That's caused this critical mass for Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, maybe Aaron Rodgers next year and other guys who are going to be thinking, I'm not stuck with the team that drafted me for my entire career or until they decide they're done with me. I can force the issue if I'm not happy where I am.
2: Yeah, you look at Jalen Ramsey, Khalil Mack. I mean, the list is long, Mike, of non-quarterbacks who force trades. And that's what set all this up for quarterbacks to go, hey, we should be doing the same thing. And now here they are. We're going to see a lot of these, I think, this offseason, probably into next
1: year. What's Jamal Adams going to think if Russell Wilson gets traded? After Jamal Adams finally found a place where he can win some football games, you trade Russell Wilson, it may be a little while until the Seattle Seahawks win some football games. And it may be Jamal Adams wants to be part of the package wherever Russell Wilson goes, (laughs) along with DK Metcalf, along with Tyler Lockett. Uh, But we'll see how that plays out. Let's take a break. When we return, Trevor Lawrence needs surgery on his non-throwing shoulder. So he's throwing for teams tomorrow. Who's going to be there? And is he a lock to be number one overall? We'll be right back. Trevor Lawrence, the presumptive number one overall pick in the draft, will throw for scouts tomorrow because he's due to have surgery on his non-throwing shoulder. So the hay is going to be in the barn. It's all you're going to see. The guy's already not just penciled at number one. I mean, it's, it's ink. He's the number one pick. The question is, do the Jaguars use that pick? Or do they trade it to someone? And you can never rule that out. It's happened before, and it could be that the Jaguars decide they get an offer they can't refuse for a collection of draft picks that they can serve as the foundation for the franchise going forward. Urban Meyer reportedly will be there. Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator of the Jaguars, will be there to watch it. This is your chance to see Trevor Lawrence. I don't know how much it adds to the film, I don't know how much it affects anything. I don't think that it's a big issue but it's something he feels like he needs to do shereen before he gets that shoulder fixed
2: yeah absolutely i don't even know that he needs to do it but you know it will tell him something on how his leadership skills are and how quick he gets the ball out some few other things i guess that they can see in person that they don't see on film but the big thing mike when you look at it No, there are none of the big quarterbacks we talk about who are top five overall picks so he has something to live up to he does look like a safe pick, probably the safest since what Andrew Luck maybe so you know they're going to pick him whoever has that number one pick is going to pick Trevor Lawrence and hopefully he lives up to expectations.
1: And when Sims heard a few years ago that the Seahawks were talking to the Browns about a trade that would have sent, if it had gone forward, Russell Wilson to Cleveland for the first overall pick, it would have been Josh Allen, not Baker Mayfield, who was taken by the Seahawks. A lot of comparisons between Trevor Lawrence and Josh Allen. Just something to think about. Wilson for the number one overall pick. See you tomorrow. Have a good evening.